the share it with a friend deal, even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Two brand new tickets are making their presence felt in D.C. From U Street to downtown, from Adams Morgan to Anacostia. Introducing the District Diamonds and 51st Scratchers from D.C. Lottery. Inspired by the district. Made for the district. With prizes up to $151,000. Grab them today from your local D.C. Lottery retailer. Because here in D.C., this is how we play. Please play responsibly. This is the 5 a.m. Hustle Podcast. Get ready to learn about entrepreneurship and self-help in the new era. I'm your host, Jack Considine. And I'm Namish Kaista. Let's go. Welcome back, hustlers, to the 5 a.m. Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Namish Kaista. And I'm Jack Considine. Um, today, our guest is Ali Henderson. Um, he's the founder of Bamyazi, which is a work-life balance design company and the CEO of Odin, a human-centered data consultancy. And he's the host of the Take My Advice, in parentheses, I'm not using it, podcast. So thanks so much for being here, Ali. Pleasure. Yes, yeah, so you want to go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, what I do now, as you described, is I suppose you can call it a portfolio career. Well, certainly that's the the phrase a lot of people use now in that there's a few different strings to my bow and certain areas that I focus on at different times. So my, my primary business is Bamyazi. As you said, it's, I describe it as a work life design business. So I work with companies and organizations that are looking to evolve the way that they work and particularly looking at the intersection between work and personal lives. So obviously, you know, even before the last year, there was significant changes in the way that we were working and the influence of technology and subsequently this year, you know, significantly remote work is changing people's expectations about what work looks like. So I work with organizations to help them evolve that. And it covers various aspects, whether it be, um, you know, research and insights into what other businesses are doing and what their staff are looking to do, but also really just sort of looking at three elements and the way they come together. It's about increasing engagement, improving well-being, and on the long way, enhancing performance. So that's the, the key bit. And then, uh, you know, I also, as part of that, started working for a business called Odin, which is a, as you said, a data consultancy. So I'm the CEO, which I do um, sort of with half, no, sort of just a little less than half my time. Um, and I work with organizations, global organizations like banks like HSBC, um, yeah, you know, technology startups to look at how they use data within the business. And it's often customer data. It's the intersection between customer uh, data and technology. I'm very curious with the work that um, you've done with um, Benyazi, have you um, guys before the pandemic hit, were you guys partially um, remote with a lot of the companies you worked with at all? Like, have you, did you have that kind of set in at all? Like how was the transition immediately? So from my point, personal point of view, so up until last January, I actually owned and ran a digital advertising agency. So up until the end of 2019, I'd been running that digital ad agency for almost 11 years 
um, and I exited that business in January 2020. So from my own point of view, I actually, you know, I, it was very easy for me. I was working, I was working at home most of the time anyway. I did have office space. So that's fine. The companies I work with, though, they vary. I mean, most of the businesses I've worked with, you probably consider them to be pretty forward thinking. Certainly there was some element of flexible work and remote work within that, but absolutely none of them worked in a completely distributed manner as, as most people are now. So it's a very new thing. It created different challenges. We can talk a little bit more later on about what those challenges are, and, but also there's opportunities within that. And I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's always a spectrum, but the, there's plenty of organizations that I've seen and worked with over the past 12 months that have embraced it, that have taken on board the new opportunities which it's created and actually designed a new, better way of working. And I think, you know, whilst things may return to a certain degree, to how they were before, there's going to be very few companies out there which return to 100% in the office work, I would imagine. Certainly those that I work with. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, like, something that I wanted to ask you about is how exactly do you go about divining um, work-life balance and in your own personal life, what does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, there's a reason I do this and it's because it's, it's, it was fundamental the way I thought about work. So when I sold my previous business, I'd spent 11 years running a startup, building it up, having various ups and downs throughout that period. Along the way, I had three kids. So I was juggling, you know, running a business with having small children and all of the pressures that that creates. And, you know, I got some of it right, got some of it wrong. I think I experienced burnout several times along the way without necessarily even knowing what the phrase meant. Um, and when I reflected upon all of that just over a year ago, uh, you know, for me, my ambition was to actually start helping other people get that balance. So for me, you know, what's really important is setting intentions through the week about the way that I want to work and sticking to it. Now, in reality, that's really tough. You know, when there's demands from clients and employees and all other things in life, it's really difficult to stick to certain principles. But there are some things now which are non-negotiable for me. So, for example, I, I do at least an hour of exercise a day or at least an hour, maybe an hour of exercise and downtime. So that might, that might include yoga, meditation, you know, doing cycling, you know, whatever else. And actually, for me, that's critical because if I don't do that, I really notice. I really notice, you know, how it affects my mental health. Clearly, it affects your physical health and there's a big connection there. And frankly, I just don't do as good work. So there's certain aspects like that which are really important. I also spend, I like to spend as much time as possible with my kids. So, you know, for me, I, I don't like working 12 hour days every day. For me, I, like, I want to work shorter working days and use those hours as effectively as, and creatively as possible. So I design my days with, to take advantage of my chronotype. So for example, I like rising early. I like doing creative work in the morning. I like doing collaborative work in the afternoon. And for me, that really works, but it doesn't work like that for everybody. Um, and I think the key thing is, for me, I know there's certain principles that are applicable to anybody and I know there's certain things which are only applicable to myself. And I think when you're looking at scaling this idea to companies and to other individuals and groups, you've got to think about what's unique to you, but what's also you know, common across other people. Yeah, and I think um, what's so difficult for like, a lot of people when they're starting out to understand is that you simply cannot go um, all that time without taking any breaks. Um, and your work suffers as a result anyway. So if you're trying to be very productive, if you're trying to get to optimal experience, um, you can't do that unless you take certain breaks in your day. Yeah, and I think that's 
something that um, I know like Jack and I struggle with a little bit, especially because like, you know, in a younger environment, it is always like, it feels like you're always going. I mean, mm-hmm. like, especially in a normal school year, it feels like tunnel vision um, all the time. Um, and so do you have any tips for anyone that might be starting off like that? Um, but, you know, they recognize, you know, I need to take a break, but not entirely sure. Or it just seems like there isn't any time to take a break. Yeah. It's really tempting, isn't it, not to take breaks and just to try and utilize every single second. So there's a, the, and I think it doesn't matter what age you are, there's a bit of a, a culture now of optimizing time. And actually, I'm, I'm careful how you use that word because optimizing, you tend to think about literally using every second. And actually, for me, the key thing is getting a really good balance between strain if you if you consider it and this could be from a physical point of view but also mental exertion so if you're doing a really intense revision for an exam for an hour then you need to balance that off with rest for for loads of reasons first of all your work effectiveness just decreases significantly after uh, after a period of time and you know you could 90 minutes is a pretty good amount of block of time i think to do some focus work after that your cognitive ability significantly decreases so that's the time to take a rest do 90 minutes of work, take at least half an hour off, I would suggest. And I think this is the thing. It's finding a good cadence between having the focus time and the downtime. I have, as I said, experienced burnout over the years. And when it's really hit me, it's just when I do prolonged periods of work. And, you know, this could have been when I was at school, uh, when I was studying at university, when I was working. If you do an eight-hour block of work and don't take a break, trust me, by the second half of the day, your work is not very good. You might as well not bother doing it because you make mistakes, you cut corners. Actually, in working life, it's been proven that if you, um, people who work too long and people who are burnt out and uh, operating in the red zone, if you like, not only make bad decisions, they make unethical decisions. So if you extrapolate this problem of overwork to, um, to, you know, to corporate scenarios, you tend to see things not just being done incorrectly, you actually get people making poor decisions and in some cases criminal decisions. Now, I know that seems extreme, but I suppose you just think about it from your context. When you're working day to day or if you're studying for an exam, all you've got to do is have a period on and a period off. And I think a, a two to one ratio is pretty good. You could spend an hour working and half an hour off or you know, 90 minutes on and 45 minutes off. But you will see the benefit if you get that downtime. And then when you do, what you do with that downtime is up to you. You know, you might decide to not do anything at all. You might do bit of light exercise but certainly two to one ratio i would always recommend um one of my questions is obviously you said that uh you think the exercise meditation all that is very important for kind of resetting your mind um and your um mental health every single day but what are other ways um that you're able to reset each day because i know that like oftentimes we may look to our phones for a quick break for 15 20 minutes we may not feel as refreshed as we might be so um do you have any tips for that Yeah, I mean, look, there are some great applications for using your phone. You know, I, I mean, literally talking phone apps. I mean, I, I've got Calm, for example, which is a meditation and mindfulness app. That's a, you know, that's that isn't a bad way to spend that half an hour of downtime. You know, stick on stick on your headphones, and you know, maybe meditate for a little while. And look, there's nothing wrong with having a bit of mindless time here and there. You know, I'm not. This is my point. You can't design your whole life to be absolutely focused on that, you know, a single thing. You need to be able to switch off. And, and downtime is about intentional relaxation, but it can also just be about doing, you know, just switching, reading inane things online. That's absolutely fine. I just warned that 
screens are inherently an issue nowadays. I mean, for example, we're doing this call now. We had a chat briefly before with, our, with my camera on, but I try and do one day a week at least not doing video calls. So I, I had somebody on my podcast last week called Jennifer Moss. She's a burnout expert. She's about to release a book on burnout. She studied the growth of it and obviously the, the, the explosion of it during pandemic. And she, she, she agrees, you know, there's, there's evidence showing that the, the type of communication that you're doing, for example, through a laptop where you're staring into somebody's eyes and you've really got to be aware of your facial micro expressions on your face, it's just raining. And there's a, there's a bit of that. And there's also a bit of just the, the screen itself, you know, reading, reading, for example, from a book is clearly going to be better for you than just reading off your phone all the time so again it's it, a lot of this stuff's common sense really it's like look if you spend all day looking at the screen it's probably not going to do you much good you probably won't sleep as well you know you, you certainly your your quality of sleep is affected but equally i wouldn't say don't spend some time just you know scrolling through you know facebook or instagram or tiktok or wherever you're looking at here and there what you don't want to do is just get stuck in that trap where you're just scrolling for half an hour on end and and losing all sense of time so it's like anything just it's a bit of balance Mm -hmm. um so a question i had is um so having kids and starting a business at the same time has it been more important for you to almost like be quote-unquote less focused over a longer period of time or have you found that being extremely focused for like only half an hour has been more effective what what has worked better for you personally i mean when you've got kids there's a certain amount of control that you lose over the way that you manage your time to be honest so i've got pretty good at managing my schedule so i'll I'll tell you what my typical day looks like and bear in mind this is in an ideal world and as i said not every day is an ideal world you know i've still got kids wandering and interrupting me but typically what i'll do is i'll wake early I've got a toddler, he's two, he likes waking up before six most mornings anyway. So sometimes I get up with him, but if not, I'm usually up by half five, spend a bit of time, you know, a bit of time meditating, maybe do a little bit of exercise, write, write my journal. So I like waking up and sort of spending 10, 15 minutes just getting all the thoughts out of my head. Then if I'm on my own, which is rare, I might do some writing. So as well as doing a podcast, I also write a newsletter called Future Work Life. Um, I, like to, I like to do some writing in the morning if I can. Then I do, you know, do all the kids stuff, breakfast, take them to school, all that. But then what I try and do is between nine and seven, uh, nine and 11 every morning is have focused work time. And during that period, I just spend time on my own focusing on a task. And it's typically writing or analytical work of some description. And that I'm pretty rigid with this. So it doesn't matter who I'm working with. I won't schedule client meetings at that time if I can avoid it. The people who I work with and work for me. They're not allowed to contact me between 9 and 11 because between those hours, I can get a disproportionate amount of work done. So that is my focused work time. And typically the way I organize those two hours, I'll spend half an hour organizing my thoughts. What do I want to get done? Um, you know, making notes around what I want to write up or having a look at some, you know, the data that I need to process. Then I'll have 15 minutes off, switch off, go for a walk around the block, whatever. Then I'm for an, at least an hour and a half, I'm in it and I just focus. And during that time, if I get it right, I can get into a flow state. You know, I can get a disproportionate amount of work done. And that takes a pressure off for the rest of the day, which means then hit 11 o'clock, you know, catch up on emails, do some calls, have a little lunch, uh, lunch break. And then in the afternoon, it's just about, ideally for me, collaboration in whatever sense that might be. So it might be doing meetings with clients, it might be doing meetings with staff. It might just be doing some creative work. You know, so again, for me, the way my, my chronotype works 
you know, the afternoons are better for collaboration and creativity for me in some sense, because, you know, um, you know, from, from a flow point of view, I am a bit more tired. My brain sort of processes information in a slightly different way, which, which, which emphasizes the creative side of things for me. So analysis in the morning, creativity in the afternoon. And I've found a pretty good balance. It just, all it means is I don't need to work flat out for eight hours. I can, I can, I could effectively, most people would consider the amount of work I'm to be doing to maybe doing four or five hours work a day. It's just those four or five hours of really good quality work because I've found a particular, particular way of working, which, which really suits me. Mm -hmm. So you, you just, we're just talking about finding um, your chronotype. Was that something you just experimented with or um, how exactly did you settle on? Okay. I do better work in the morning and then like better individual work in the morning and collaborative work in the afternoon. Well, the certain inherent characteristics, you know, I do just wake up early, you know, and in the mornings I'm much more energetic. My brain, you know, I, I, I like work. I like starting to work early. Come mid afternoon, late afternoon, you know, I just, I'm done really. You know, there's not, there's not much more. For example, I, I, you know, I sometimes have to work in the evenings, but if I'm working in the evenings, I might be editing something or just replying to some emails. I'm never doing anything which is particularly cognitively demanding. And I've kind of always been like that, to be honest. Even when, you know, when I, Think back to some of my school days, my university days. I'd wake up and get all my best work done in the morning. Now, if you look at the analysis of chronobiology, you know you can't lump everybody into these categories. But you know, typically you have either end. You know, the the, the larks waking up early and the owls who who like working late. And then most people fit somewhere in between. Now, I, you know, I'm just a classic lark, really. If you and if you look at chronobiology, the way the days tend to work is. As I said before, you know, the, the mornings typically for a lark would be your, your sort of analytical time. The oh, mid, middle of the day is just kind of get administrative work done and then your kind of creativity would come a little later. Whereas for hours, it flips it around. So there's a, there's a certain thing which is intrinsic within me and then there's just a certain, there is a certain element of just trying things out. And I've just found over time that that's the, the way I work best. So earlier, um, you mentioned the flow state, which uh, for a lot of people is a very elusive um, elusive thing. So have you been able to set up your environment um, to more um, stimulate your ability to get in that flow state or how have you been able to um, at least consistently try to get there? Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not suggesting that I'm able to achieve this every single day by any means, but I definitely experience it. And yes, I do both approach my period of work and also my environment in a particular way. So yeah, first of all, I really don't want to be interrupted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's probably an obvious thing if you're thinking about it, but to really get into that groove, yeah, you need to be on your own and focused. Um, I, as I said before, what you usually do is, there's a really good book called Technique for Producing Ideas, which you should look up. It's written, it's written in the 50s, but it's still applicable today. And it talks about the process you go through um, to come up with ideas. And it was, it was written by an, an ad guy. Now, this book breaks down brilliantly the steps required for creativity. And the key bit within that is achieving this elusive flow state. Now, for me, what it means is there's a period of information gathering and um, determining what my goals for that period are, which come, come, come before it. Now, as I said before, if I start work at nine, I might spend half an hour doing that stuff. I've already got in mind what I want to do. Then I step away. Now, 
how long you step away for is probably a really personal thing, but I find if I do it for 15 minutes, it's enough. And I, sometimes I'll sit, put my headphones in and meditate for 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes I'll just go and make a cup of tea, go, go for a walk around the block, as I said. Then when I sit down, I have a, I'm usually typing, you know, I'm usually writing something on my laptop. So I just have my laptop open, nothing else open apart from, you know, my Word document. Um, I usually have, I always have music on and it's usually some sort of, some sort of ambient music or jazz, something without any lyrics, which can distract me and something which isn't too hectic. Have that music on, start writing for 10, 15 minutes without any real focus or judgment about what I'm doing. And that's usually when I hit it. Yeah. So, and I think the key thing is just starting working, you know, don't, don't overthink it. You know, the first 10, 15 minutes of the stuff I write, for example, is usually not that great, but it doesn't matter. In fact, there's, there's some arguments to say that you can, if you spend 10 minutes, for example, writing just some crazy stuff, stuff that doesn't make sense, you know, making stuff up about elephants walking through, you know, the center of your town and, you know, going in, picking up a shopping basket, going and buying some hummus and crackers, you know, wherever it is, that sort of stuff shifts your mindset into a particular place. And for me, it works. So I'll sit down, blast out, you know, 10, 15 minutes of crap. And then, you know, 15 minutes in, I hit a groove. And you know, typically for me, as I said, most of the time it's writing. And I can, you know, I can do, you know, a thousand words in, in an hour if I'm in that state. And you know, if only 50% of it is any good. But the point is, you start doing that regularly. It's like a muscle. You build it up. You start finding the things that work. And you start increasing the likelihood you can hit the flow state and obviously then increase the quality of the work you're delivering as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so when you were, so like this is kind of a, just a pivot question, but when you were starting um, any of your businesses um, or starting a podcast or even working as CEO of Odin, um, what, are, have, what have been some of the greatest challenges you've faced um, and how have you overcame, uh, overcome them? I mean, I experience major challenges all the time. <laughs> they never go away. Um, I think it's. I think. I think probably the major thing that I've realised over time is that you're never gonna. You know, there's, there's, this, there's, there's no end point. There's no point at which I feel like I've I've achieved everything I want to achieve. And you know, there's much more successful people than me who would agree that the goalposts shift and that's not a bad thing. I think it's just understanding that you're never, things are never going to be perfect. Things are always going to deviate. You have to be able to be flexible and adaptable and pivot. And that's critically important. Now, the reality of running businesses are that the really challenging points are just the points at which you worry about whether you're going to be able to pay the bills and pay the people who work for you and allow them to pay the bills. And they're, they're the really hard, they're the really hard periods. And there've been periods like that. I mean, you know, I've been running businesses for what, sort of 13, 14 years, and it's just inevitable. Like you run it, you, run, you start, you start a startup. The most startups are self-funded, bootstrapped if you like. And the nature of that is you have good periods and you have tricky periods and you have periods where you're, you know, flying by the seat of your pants and you're not really knowing what you're doing and making up as you go along. And then you have periods where, you know, you're absolutely smashing it and you're doing really well. Now, I think with anything like that, it's trying to keep a pretty level head, you know, so when things are amazing, just trying to, you know, just keep, keep a measure on things. Look, you know, understanding that things are going well right now, but let's plan for the next stage. Let's not get carried away. And equally, you know, if you're, if you're confident about your idea, 
and you sort of follow, you know, put systems in place to make sure that you're sort of living your life well and thinking clearly about things. When things are tough, you've got to believe that they're going to turn around. So it's trying to keep that level edge really hard. And that's when having really good business partners and friends and family around you just kind of giving you giving you a bit of encouragement is really important. But, you know, you know you're never going to, things are never going to be perfect. So I think it's keeping a level head is a key thing there. I think staying level um, is very um, underrated because a lot of times we say like, oh, we should always um, celebrate, really get pumped up about things. But sometimes if you get too pumped up about like a small thing that happens, then um, oftentimes you make that the standard and then you may seem like upset if you don't reach that same level of um, whether it be productivity or say you made a certain amount of money in a month. Um, So how have you been able to manage, um, not necessarily your expectations, but um, manage like um, what your goals are or making sure like that you're still growing as a company, but not like demanding too much of yourself. Yeah, it's difficult. It is difficult. I mean, like, I mean that by no means should you not take pleasure when you're doing well. I mean, I certainly, you know, that's the thing. I think when you are running a business and you're in that startup stage and it's tough, when things go really well, you win a new client, you win a really you know, nice bit of work. You should definitely celebrate that. You know, you should definitely feel proud, proud of yourself. Um, but, but I think you're right. I think the thing is, if you get too carried away, then the flip side of that is when things aren't great, you can really beat yourself up about it. Um, now, I don't, I don't think there's, there's not like a simple solution to this. There's not sort of, you know, this is, everybody does it slightly differently. But again, getting perspective on things, reminding yourself of the things you're doing right is important. I mean, look, I, I literally did that this morning. So I was, I woke up this morning and was thinking about what I've got to do this week and reflecting on last week. And in many ways for me, the last year has been frustrating. You know, I think I, you know, there's, it's created opportunities in some way. We yeah, have what we're going through right now, but there's no denying that the macroeconomic conditions mean that pressures are on, is on business. People are spending less money on stuff. They're less willing to take risks. And that's meant that my business hasn't grown as fast as I want it to. And, I'm, you know, if you're ambitious, you want things to go well. So the easy thing to do would be to beat yourself up. And, and I, I do it. Some mornings I wake up and think, God, oh, you know, I need this. I need to pick up the pace here. I need to pick up the pace. But I think just kind of stepping back and reflecting and saying, reminding yourself of the things that you are doing right. And a lot of this is why I think the work-life design is really key, because that's when you can have something to keep coming back to, like a home base. You sort of say, well, look, you know, whatever I go out and do today, I'm going to come back to my home base, have a good day, have a bad day, have ups and downs, keep coming back and reminding myself why I'm doing it. And um, I think that's for me, that's been a, a useful exercise. And I think, you know, I, I'm only, I've only been meditating, to sort of, you know, trying that, that, that out for the last year or two. I still don't really know what I'm doing most of the time. And sometimes I just sit there thinking about stuff uh, the whole time. And again, you can beat yourself up about that. But I'll tell you one thing it has reminded you of is it, it is this, this idea I'm coming back to home base and saying, well, look, there's a reason I'm doing this and just going through this process is a positive thing. And I think if you do that and let you guys doing a podcast like this isn't easy, right? It takes work. You've got, you, you've got to think about what you want to do. You've got to find a guest. You've got to ask some smart questions. You've got to edit it afterwards. Just doing this is a sign that you're probably thinking about things in the right way. Now, just doing you know having certain positive systems in place means that you're thinking about things the right way and i just inherently an optimist i just believe that if you do that things will come right things will come good and it might happen tomorrow it might take a year but ultimately do keep doing the right things and good things will happen i just believe that 
So you, yeah. you mentioned uh, meditation a few times, and sometimes it's kind of a scary thing for people to get into um, initially. So um, do you have any um, advice for someone who um, is maybe like, I was always like, man, it's something I really want to start, but I don't know how to approach it. Yeah. So as I said before, I think probably I never thought of myself as someone who'd be a med- someone who meditates. I was, yeah, I've always pictured people. I don't know. I just didn't seem like the sort of person I was, you know, I didn't seem that Zen. Although I've always liked yoga actually, but I always treated yoga like exercise. I like, you know, the physical sort of flexibility and strength it gave you with meditation. I think it, it was about, it was when I was thinking about all this stuff about this, this time last year and thinking how work and personal lives overlap. Um, and frankly, I just downloaded, I got a free trial of Headspace and I got a free trial of Calm and I tried them both out. And that was it really. I just I thought I did a 30 day thing on Calm and I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Try, so, trying something out. Look, I think some, I think the idea of sitting still with your eyes closed and your legs crossed, sometimes you do. At first, you're so, it's quite self-conscious. I sat there thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. I really don't know what I'm doing here. I'm losing, I'm getting distracted all the time. You know, the whole, I thought the whole point about meditation was that you'd have this sense of enlightenment where suddenly you see the world differently. And actually I'll tell you what it is for me. It's 10 minutes where my brain slows down a little bit. And again, just as with physical exercise, rest is really important. I think it's the same with meditation. So I think, you know, people who do know about meditation and I've read a lot about it and listened to a lot about it over the past year. So I've got a certain insight, and, but none of this insight is my own necessarily. It's just other people's, which I'm sharing with you. I think the whole point of it is it's, it's not having any expectations. It's not saying, well, by doing this, it's going to give me this breakthrough idea. It's not, you know, it, it's just about looking after yourself and it's another aspect of your physical and mental health, which can be a benefit, but you know, it doesn't work for everybody. I, I when I bought, um, I finally decided to buy the year subscription to Calm, and I bought it for my wife as well. And my wife does love yoga. She teaches pregnancy and postnatal yoga. She's a hypnobirthing teacher. She loves that stuff. She doesn't like meditating. She doesn't like sitting down for ten minutes with with their headphones on and meditating. So it's just, you know, and I would have expected her to to love it. So I think it's worth a try. It's like anything. It's worth trying out. You know, and I think if you keep at it, you see the benefits. So the days that I don't meditate. I find myself more irritable. I'm not as patient. So, uh, and I know that because I track it. So I think, you know, I think it's, it's worth a try. It's definitely worth a try through the apps. I'm sure when you, I'm sure when you get really, you progress through, you know, and you're a yoga, you know, some sort of master at it, you probably don't need somebody talking in your ear to, to help you with it. But I think at first, why not? You know, it's relatively cheap to buy a year subscription to one of those. And there's actually loads of good stuff on there. You know, Calm app has got loads of masterclasses with, interesting people so one of the guys i had on my podcast alex pang is on there talking about the importance of rest lebron james is on there talking about the importance of um, rest for performance so there's there's interesting stuff on those apps as well as just the guided meditation yeah i mean i think um a lot of what we've been talking about today goes to show that your greatest impediment is definitely your mind to anything that you think you can do um and so that that mind needs rest um but also at the same time, a lot of things that you think that you can't do, um, it's really just in your head. And so you might as well go ahead and try it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is, so you mentioned before, my podcast is called Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It. Now, the reason it's called that is because I am very realistic about how you follow through on the advice that you give. So I've, I've, 
I probably can't, I've come to a point in my life where I give out advice more than I receive it. So I'm really aware of this stuff. But I reckon, I don't know what the percentage is, but I know that some of the advice I give to people I don't stick to. And, I, and it's not that I think it's bad advice. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be sharing it if I didn't think it was good advice. But it's just the reality of life. It's like, you know, you, you, with the best intentions, you cannot stick to everything you say. And I think that's true of loads of people. It'll be true of people you've had on your podcast. I'm sure you listen to other people's podcasts. There's people spouting off about all sorts of stuff, handing out advice, and half the time they don't stick to themselves. And it doesn't make them a bad person. But I'll tell you one thing, the, the best bit of advice I would give is just to try stuff out. Now, like, there's loads of reasons for this. So for a start, who knows what jobs are going to be really important in 10, 15 years, and yeah, certainly in 30 or 40 years, right? Now, so what you, you have to do from a work point of view is try stuff out. So again, if you're thinking about what you were studying, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't paint yourself into a corner. I, would, I wouldn't go down a narrow path. I'd try stuff out. You know, when I was at university, I did a management degree, but I did it with German, with German so that I could go and live in Germany for a year because I wanted to try stuff out. So I think, you know, that, that's probably the philosophy on life to take forward, which is whatever it is, try it out. Don't try, and, and try it out and stick to it for a little bit. I think there's, again, there's certain evidence that, you know, sticking to something for three to six months gives you a much better idea about whether it's, it's right for you. You know, trying loads of stuff out for a few days at a time isn't going to work. You've got to stick to it to a certain extent. But definitely trying things out is, is the key bit of advice. Yeah, I think that's where it's so important to um, fall in love with the process because, you know, you never you might not see results for a while. Um, you might not see results at all, to be honest. But um, if you if you enjoy the day to day and not every day, obviously, some days are more difficult than others. But if you generally enjoy the process of what you're doing more than you enjoy the results, then um, that I feel like is a template for general contentment with whatever you're doing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, Ollie, just wrapping up, um, we ask everyone that comes on the podcast two questions. Um, so the first one, um, I'm going to ask it. It's what are two to three books that you've read that have had a very large impact on your way of life? Mm, good question. So there's a great book I read last year about a guy called Bill Campbell, um, who he is an amazing guy, actually. He, um, I'm trying to think what it's called, actually, but you'll be able to look it up. What's it called? I'll tell you, I'll tell you after the, I'll send you a link to it after the podcast so you can put it in the show notes. So this guy, Bill Campbell, he was the coach for Steve Jobs, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, at the same time. So he was on the board of Apple and Google at the same time. He was the CEO's coaches at the same time. When he, 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 he died a couple of years ago, but he, at his funeral, there was over a thousand people at his funeral. And I think the brilliant stat was something like over half, when uh, over half of them were asked, over half of them considered Bill their best friend. He was considered, this guy's considered to be the, one of the best coaches out there. And Eric Schmidt and a couple of the other guys from Google wrote a book about him. And that is a fantastic book to just understand about coaching generally as a profession but also the value that it can bring so that's that's something over the past year which has had a really big um effect on me um i mean often i read so many books it's the things i've read most recently which probably i remember best i read a great book just before christmas called endure by an author called alex hutchinson and he wrote about the limits of human performance i had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago um so he he looked at when elliot kipchoge broke the two-hour barrier for the marathon so nike 
supported him in his pursuit of breaking this record, which most people considered insurmountable. And uh, it's brilliant sort of study about the limits of performance and the relationship of the mind and the body. So that's, that's a really great book as well. Um, and actually, look, I mentioned the book earlier on a technique for producing ideas. I've got it in front of me. I read it about four times a year. It's only about 70 pages long, so you can read it in about an hour. Um, and that is a fantastic book. And when, you, when you're trying to get some sort of breakthrough, you know, if you're really struggling with a problem, you can't really get some, some, you know, con- some concept, this is a really good way of structuring your thinking process, kind of using mental models to think about things in a different way and can be a really, really good way of, 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 of getting a breakthrough and solving problems. Awesome, Ali. Then the last question we have for you today is that if you can give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be? Well, I mentioned about trying things and it'd be an extension of that really. I think there's a lot written about failing and, you know, businesses valuing failure and we encourage failure. Well, I think that's slightly overblown. I don't think any business wants to fail. But I think when I was a teenager, I was worried about failing. You know, I was really, I wanted to be, I wanted to be great at everything. And you can't be great at everything, can you? I mean, that's, <laughs> if you want to try stuff, you're not going to be good at all of it. So not being, not, not, not being afraid to fail and not being embarrassed if you don't get things right the first time is probably the key thing. All right, Ali. Thanks so much for coming on today. I really appreciate having you on. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. All right, that's it for today's episode of the 5M Hustle Podcast. As always, guys, peace. Thank you so, so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Special thanks to Ayush Basu for producing social media content. To follow us on Instagram, look up the number 5AM Hustle Podcast. And for Twitter, it is just 5AM Hustle. Feel free to reach out to us at 5AM Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. As always, guys, go win the day.